Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to From the Ground Up podcast. Thank you guys so much for being here. So today, it's going to be just me, but I'm going to be talking about something that I find pretty important and things that I think a lot of people are wondering about, and it's getting started in the reptile hobby or reptile industry. Um, I prefer to call it an industry because, quite frankly, a lot of the guys that you see at shows, especially at the big shows, are going to be career reptile keepers, breeders. Uh, professionals in all types of sorts. So to call it a hobby would be a little bit misleading because, and especially because the people who usually ask this of me are people who are looking to start a business. So let's kind of look at it from the perspective of being an industry, at least for right now. But anyway, I'll get into that a little bit later. But if you guys haven't seen Gecko, uh, supplies are available on the website. So we are currently carrying Rapashi products. Um, other products will be coming in the future just as soon as all the COVID mess is over because that's been messing up with uh, with some things recently. But I've been really getting into these geckos. I've been really, really loving keeping them. Just such a good, such a good starter animal and starter pet for those who are interested in reptiles and a little bit different than, say, a corn snake or some of the stuff that I'm used to working with. Uh, and you guys know that I do have an interest in some of these other uh, four-legged creatures. And damn, do I do I want a Cyclora at some point. But that's besides the fact. So <laughs> if you guys want to check out portcitypet.com, portcitypythons.com for uh, for all that good stuff. Also, obviously, some isopods available and some uh, some amazing isopods as well as some uh, some different reptile supplies and bioactive supplies. So please go check it out. Other than that, let's just get started. So I wanted to talk a little bit because um, Brendan, and I want to say his full name. I'm going to bring it up real quick. Um, he had sent me a message in the. He had sent me a message on Facebook. His name is Brendan Frisella. So sorry if you didn't want to be known by the public, Brendan, but there you are. Because uh, and good last name, by the way, you know, the guy who uh, first form is as a nutrition company. The CEO is Andy Frisella. Any relation? I don't know. Um, but he was wondering how to get started in the reptile hobby or in the reptile business as far as getting yourself out there, because it is kind of a big unknown when you first get started. Uh, you see a bunch of these people kind of at the top of the heap and you have no idea how to get there or what it takes to get there. So I want to talk a little bit about at least what I did and then what I would do maybe now and kind of general um, attitudes towards starting in the industry or in the hobby. So the biggest thing for me is to go lightly. So when I first started um, and keep in mind, I was keeping as a kid, you don't need to keep your whole life. And it seems like so many of these people that, that you see, whether it's on podcasts or videos on Instagram or wherever it is, they're like, Hey, I've been keeping reptiles since I was two years old. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be like that. You can start whenever you want to. It doesn't matter if you're 20 or if you're 40. There's plenty of people, and we've all seen people who have started in those points, and we've seen people who are rather successful start at those points. So, so that's a really big thing. Don't be discouraged by the fact that you were not uh, out there catching lizards when you were five years old because, quite frankly, 
it's a lot different now. And it's, uh, the reptile community is a lot more visible and therefore a lot more people are going, going to get into it. And just because you weren't exposed before, hey, maybe you lived in a city, all of a sudden there's a reptile show and you're exposed to snakes and you love them. And that's cool. So where, where do you start from there? Well, hopefully you are at that reptile show. I know right now it's pretty tricky because obviously there aren't any reptile shows. So I want to offer some alternatives to that. But I always like to start local and quite frankly, go to your local shows, keep on going. Um, I have seen the same people throughout the East Coast. I've seen the same people in Maryland, in the White Plains show, at uh, Baltimore show, all over the place. I said Maryland twice. But yeah, so I've seen them all throughout the the East Coast. And these people will travel up to three hours uh, each show. And quite frankly, I think that that's what it takes as far as to first get your foot in the door is to go to some vendors, buy from some vendors, talk to some vendors. Don't just go to the show and walk around and go once. Go to the show, talk to as many vendors as possible, especially in the animals that you're interested in. This may be a little bit different depending on what species or what, you know, part of the hobby that, that you're interested in at the time. But just go in there and try to talk to breeders and listen. Some of them are going to be standoffish. Some of them are going to be really, really cool. So pick the ones that feel right to you as well as never get kind of if you go to someone who's a very popular vendor or someone who you really respect. If you get blown off or something like that, do not take anything personally. We see thousands of people, I mean, at a reptile show, potentially hundreds at least. And it can get pretty exhausting as well as uh, you may catch someone in a bad mood or something like that. So I think that goes for business in general. Even the people I've had disagreements with, I try not to take anything personal and just kind of move on from there. Because quite frankly, this industry is very small. You don't want to make any enemies and you want as many friends as possible as well as uh, just being generally uh, decent towards people and you don't want any ill will towards others. So so I would, I would keep, uh, I would tread lightly as well as don't think, don't take anything personally because especially if you're coming in as a young person, I know Brennan was, uh, he's about my age. He's about 28, which to some of you guys probably sounds old and to other of you guys probably sounds like a baby. So that's the thing. A lot of the guys that you're going to see in the industry are going to be 30 plus years old easily. So coming in as someone who probably looks younger than 28 even, especially when I was first starting, really I was 21 or so. And I was going up to people and talking to people. And I think what really meant a lot to some of the the vendors that I eventually got in good with was the fact that you're interested in the animals. And don't act like you're an expert on the animals. Ask questions. Just ask this breeder questions. That's all we want to talk about is our animals. So ask them about the animals that they are that they are actually breeding and keeping. Don't be like, oh, yeah, my crested gecko does this and does that. Well, yeah, that's nice, but we hear about other people's animals all the time. So I think a really good way to get in with someone is kind of asking them about their species, about what they're interested in, about what they look, look for in products. I think it's really important to kind of take – their uh, perspective into into account and also cater your conversation around what they like to talk about which makes things a lot easier and i know that can be very intimidating for some because quite frankly i'm an introvert and i don't drink beers on the podcast because it's good for my health or because i drink beers all the time it's because without these beers i would be completely silent 
it's very hard for me to talk for uh, for an hour, for two hours, however long I'm going to talk without some assistance. And that goes even for for interviews and stuff like that because I'm super introverted. So don't use that that as an excuse. You're going to have to eventually get over that. I know it's I have anxiety about it as well. You're going to have to kind of put that aside and try to find um, try to find some way to, to get over that because and I don't feel introverted once I get started talking about people. Once I get started talking about snakes and other people like to talk about snakes, it's usually a pretty easy conversation. So as long as you're naturally inclined to to love the animals that you're working with or the animals that you're interested in, then it should be pretty easy to start a conversation. Of course, don't do that when there's about 20 other people at the table kind of begging for for that person's attention. And especially if you're not going to buy anything that may kind of rub off poorly on some folks. But also keep in the mind that when I first started, I was also kind of a fly on the wall on a bunch of places. So it's going to depend on what what industry you're in. But say you're into rare pythons or Moralia, carpet pythons, that kind of stuff. Then Carpet Fest is a great place to start. And quite frankly, I went to a bunch of Carpet Fest and that doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I like carpets, which I do. But I went there because I wanted to talk to a bunch of like-minded people as well as they may have different perspectives that may serve me. And those first few times that I went to Carpet Fest, I did not talk to anyone, pretty much no one. And I think it's funny today because all those people that I talked to, you know, relatively often were complete strangers and I was completely frightened by them. And, uh, you know, someone like Eric and Owen of Morelia Python Radio, they were way way up on a uh, on a pedestal for me so even though i went to multiple carpet fests i don't think i ever talked to them probably until until i realized that that eric had noticed my podcast so i think that's kind of a a funny thing but also it proves something in the fact that i didn't i didn't try to go too heavy in the beginning because i didn't really have anything to stand on i wasn't really giving anything back to the community once I started to give things back to the community is when eventually I got more comfortable uh, talking to people. But I want to get to that a little bit later. So go check out any local events, which obviously doesn't apply now, like I said before. But check out any local events, which may be a carpet fest. I'm sure there's some type of uh, lizard gatherings, all different types of things. Um Go check those out as much as you can. Try to get face-to-face as much as possible. That will that will make relationships a lot easier and a lot quicker. So really what you want is you want a small group of people that can at least guide you in the right direction. And part of that is buying from someone. So if you're at that show talking to that person, buy from that person. If you're looking to get into the industry, that is your best way to do it is honestly to spend a lot of money with someone. <laughs> so uh, that is part of it, especially if you're getting into something like ball pythons or something like that. Uh, having that person is pretty, pretty crucial. And I would, I would do that as well. But also, you don't necessarily have to spend money. I didn't spend money. I haven't spent money with the, the big names in the industry, to be honest. And that's just because the time never arose in whatever situation. But but I think eventually I was able to find my way in there because of podcasts and social media. So I'm not saying start your own podcast, do your own YouTube videos, but 
consider at least going to the live stream. So right now it's it's Tuesday at seven. So it's either Monday or Tuesdays, which I usually stream live on YouTube from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Why don't you go in and join the live chat right now who honestly has a lot of legit people. I mean, you have Evan Browder of uh, of the Condro Cartel in here. You have Lori Torini, who's been um, not only a great supporter of mine, but also someone who has a whole bunch of uh, a few of my corn snakes, as well as a lot of my other friends, uh, pythons and, and snakes as well. So I think that's amazing. You also have someone like Justin of Palmetto Coast Exotics in here. You have a bunch of people who are involved in the industry. Uh, Dan Colgan, who's a guy who listens to all of our shows and hangs out a bunch. Um, you know, that that may not be someone like Dan is someone who's been just uh, one of our friends basically at this point because he's been hanging around so long. So I, I, that's also something to consider. You know, go in and join the conversation. Join us on this live stream. It uh, doesn't have to be mine, obviously. Uh, Justin has a podcast. They have a whole community going on over there where where they talk. Uh, Morelia Python Radio has their own community where they have a chat and they all talk. So I think that that's super important to get just involved in social media. It can be during live streams. It can be in the comments section, anything like that. That's a good start because, quite frankly, from my opinion, there's going to be more legitimate people here on social media, on podcasts, on YouTube than there are going to be in Facebook groups. Uh, Facebook groups typically serve those who are looking for answers, so they may ask pretty basic questions, and uh, pretty basic people answer those questions. Let's be honest. There's not going to be very many people here who who will be participating in any Facebook groups <laughs> because, quite frankly, you get sick of Facebook groups at some point, and all the experienced people tend to get out of them. There are a few good ones, I'm sure, out there, but that's just what I see at the moment. So... And now we have Dallas Rua, Rua Colubrids. Him and Amanda are doing amazing things with Colubrids. And they are another, they're another young couple, um, probably around my age, that have made a name for themselves just by being personable. And literally Dallas hit me up one time. And I don't know if he's he bought a snake before that or anything like that, but he's like, Hey, I'm coming to Dallas. You want to you want to herp one time or something like that? I'm like, yeah, come over and see the collection. And that's how I got the new Dallas got to know Dallas and he did he knows so many people from all over the place because he did things like that so that's also someone who who is kind of an example of of what you can do in just a couple short years I mean it's really only been two or three years so so that's huge so so leverage social media in any way that you can whether it be dming someone uh, most of us answer to be honest or messaging someone randomly how did i get my first my first true foot in the door in the industry I, you know like i said i was flying on walls all that i was a fly on the wall at carpet fest and all that stuff and i would post some things online and people were just eh, whatever or i go to a show and half of the people blow you off whatever it's really not a big deal well I ended up messaging Sean Bradley, who at the time had ball shit podcasts. You know, he's a ball python breeder. Uh, Tinley was coming up, and I, I decided if I'm going to be serious about this thing, I will go to Tinley no matter what it costs, no matter what I need to do, no matter what I need to sacrifice. 
I will make it to Tinley Park, Chicago Reptile Show, uh, NERBC Tinley Park. I will make it there no matter what because that is the pinnacle of my future profession. So that's exactly what I did. And I messaged Sean Bradley and I said, hey, you don't know me. Love the podcast. Whatever, whatever. I know this is weird, but if I go and help you at your table, would you allow me just to be there at Tinley Park? And of course he said, yeah, it's free labor for, you know, for no money. I wasn't going to ask him for money or anything like that. So he let me in. And not only did that happen, but I also got to learn uh, interactions with customers at Tinley Park. I mean, it's not, we're not talking about a local show. I'm talking about Tinley Park, which is the pinnacle of the reptile hobby and reptile industry uh, when it comes to physical reptile shows. So, so therefore, I was there and I didn't know an awful lot about ball python morphs, but we sold some ball pythons and I, I saw the amount of money that was coming to some of these guys, which was just outrageous to me. Now, if I think about all the costs or whatever, it's not a big deal. But as a 21-year-old who was currently in college, I was going to a SUNY Oswego in Oswego, New York. And I had a I had a job at the time where I was fulfilling orders. I was shipping things as well as being a college student, as well as having a collection of snakes at home. Uh, I had also just gotten home from basic training, from Army basic training, probably within the the last three to four months or so. No, just kidding. That was probably a year or so after that. But basically, I was very, very green. I had zero money and zero means to do anything. So I took off from work at five o'clock, drove through the night, got to Tinley Park, slept in my car from about eight to 10 a.m., and then went in to meet Sean, got into the show. And I was I was planning to sleep in my car at that point because I would have done anything to to make this happen. And I was going to, at the end of the day, I was like, hey, guys, um, I'm going to head out. I'll see you guys later. And then I believe it was Sean was like, hey, what do you do? Where are you staying? I was like, hey, I'm staying in my car. He's like, no, here's the room. And I slept on the, uh, I slept on a chair in the hotel room because <laughs> there was there was beds and I wasn't going to double up on a bed and I just slept in the chair. So that was a welcomed upgrade, honestly, than what I was going to, what I was willing to do. So if you're going to do that, just be willing to accept the lowest form of of what you asked for. So I asked, I asked Sean to, I asked Sean to vend his table. I didn't ask for him to get me into the show. I didn't ask for him to house me. I didn't ask for any of that stuff. I just said, Hey man, can I help you at your table? That's all I did. And all that stuff happened because I was a legitimate help at the table. I hope, you know, I actually try to contribute. I actually tried to work as hard as possible in order to make myself useful. And I think that's also important. So that's my way that I first got into the actual industry. And that, that weekend I went to the auction and everything like that. It was, it was a crazy experience because I went from seeing all these people on YouTube to being right across from, you know, Brian Barchek's table with all the guys at the time. At the time, he had Animal Bites TV, which he tried to have a bunch of different basically YouTubers, but different animal people have different types of channels on his own channel. So say there was five different animal shows going on for every day of the week. 
a different person hosted. And a bunch of those people were at that table. Those were all people that I admired and I saw on YouTube. And I was just kind of awestruck at, at all the people that I met or just that I saw, not even necessarily met, but that I saw at that show. And it was kind of crazy, but I wouldn't say that anyone cared about me at that show or remembered me from that show, but it was my first, it was my first introduction to the whole legitimate professional reptile world. And it was amazing. And I, I, I implore all of you to try to get that opportunity to do, especially if you're, especially if you're super young and you are looking to get this in into this as a profession in which it's super hard to make money in this industry. I'm going to be honest. Not only is it hard to make money, but it's even harder to do it the right way and how you're supposed to do it and come out with a clear conscience at the end of it. So I want to keep that also in mind and, and uh, designer exotics, April, also another person, also just a great friend in the reptile hobby, as well as all the other people that I named and just someone who um, who's always there. And she said, mistake is doing it, thinking you're going to make amazing profits. And that's a hundred percent true. That's true. Like a million times over. So if you think this is going to happen quick or you think it's going to happen in tenfold, I mean, you're going to have so much money. You don't know what to, what to do with. I mean, you can do so many other things. You can create any other business, but the same amount of money in it and make just as much, if not probably much more money than you would. So say if you took all that investment that you put in ball Python morphs, if you put $50,000 in, yeah, you can make it back in three years or you could, you could have, you could have put that $50,000 into making some online retail store and you would have probably made more money. So if you're if you're trying to make money, not really, not really that. If you're trying to work with animals and make money, then you can do so. It just takes a really, really long time. That being said, getting into the industry. Where did I go? Sorry guys, I gotta take swigs of beer to keep the keep the conversation going. Um and, and April mentioned she's six years in and she's just hitting even and and I'm seven years in, and the only reason why I broke even so early, which was honestly within two to three years, is because I work in corn snakes. That's a lot easier to make that money back. And I, I started in a mature market in which when I buy a snake for a certain price, it doesn't become half price the next year. It stays the same price. So I've been selling my snakes for the same price every single year since I've been breeding. So that's also something to think about when you're talking about different, there are different industries and there are different lanes to this. Sorry, not industry, but there's different niches, whether you're going to be working in corn snakes, ball pythons, snake in general, reptiles in general, amphibians in general. There's all different ways to do this uh, in this game, but whatever you're into. And quite frankly, my investment was much smaller because I'm, also in corn snakes and i always knew that in order to make really good money i'd probably have to breed ten thousand of these things and that's never going to happen so, <laughs> so yeah so that's my perspective on on the animal front but getting into the industry uh i came off that tinley and i was really quiet for the next two years or so and once again, I was still going to events and kind of 
half talking to some people and not really talking to others because I'm super shy. And then eventually I just decided, hey, let's take this serious. And I started the podcast and I started the YouTube channel. And quite frankly, that is when everything changed. That's when everything flipped upside down. If you have the courage to do something like that, I suggest it, but please have the knowledge to back it up. So I started it when I was three years, three or four years into doing it very, very seriously. But I had also kept snakes well before that um, as a kid. But still, I... I still probably didn't have as much knowledge as I'd be comfortable with today, but sometimes you got to go for it. I, I think podcast is a good format because you get to ask the questions and you get other people, other people who are the experts to answer it. So YouTube was kind of tricky at first. I, I did videos every single day and it worked. I mean, people started listening and I didn't necessarily always know 100% what I was talking about, but at least I had kept these animals for alive for a certain amount of time. And hopefully I wasn't at least, I wasn't so confident that I was leading people astray, but for podcasts, all you got to do is ask someone about what they're working with and what they're doing. And I think that's a really good way to, to get started in the industry. And you've seen so many people do that now. I mean, Look at Dylan of uh, Animals at Home. I think he's a big success story in that in that realm. And there's there's plenty of others. And th this especially goes for the younger people. If you think about Dylan, who is uh, who's a younger person, as well as someone like like Evan from Strength of Leos, who's only 18 years old, or I think he may even be less than that. He may be 16 or 17. <laughs> but yeah, he's super young. And Justin Smith and Jacob Bratz, they're they're around my age as well. So I think that's a that's a good opportunity for those who are tech savvy and are, are willing to do it. And you don't have to be don't have to be extroverted. You just got to be willing to, to put yourself out there. So I think that's a great way. And not only did I use the podcast to get my name out there, but I used it to invite a bunch of people on the podcast and meet people from the industry. So every single guest that I've had on is just someone from the industry that I'm meeting. So keep that in mind that if you start a podcast or something like this, you could literally have chats with an industry professional every single week which is really, really valuable. And you meet a lot of people through that. And I've been very, very lucky with the people I've met through this podcast, as well as uh, I have I have certainly opened myself up to different opportunities and I have opened, and just to be straightforward, I have opened just as many doors for those people as they have me. So not only was I meeting people and I wasn't doing it for selfish reasons, I was trying as much as I could to, to build them up, you know, in the meantime. So, so that's also something to keep in mind because the more you put into the industry, the more you give back to the industry, you, the more you just put positivity into the industry, the more you tend to get back. So, so try to do good things for the industry. Try to, put out content, try to get new people interested. When people reach out to you, try to harbor their enthusiasm instead of damper it, which which is why we don't really mess around with Facebook groups that much because it's so negative most of the time. There's so many negative aspects of it and it's much better to just reach out to someone directly and talk to your friends that you like and all that. And, and I, 
friends is a giant part of why we stay in this hobby. So you start in this hobby because you're interested in the animals. And what I see is that even the people who are interested in the animals, they may stick around for a little bit. They may keep animals. They may go a little bit underground. But the people who really stay and really stay on top of being in the industry and stuff like that is not only are they interested in the animals, but they also have a bunch of friends around them. So I think someone like like James Lewis and April and Carly Jones and Ryan Cox, we have – we have a group of people that have formed together basically from podcasts and it's because, and, and Justin, the first time I met Justin, Justin Smith of the Herpeticulture podcast, and Herpeticulture magazine. First time I met him was he was in my chat when I first began, began my podcast. So that's how we got connected. That's how most of the people that I just mentioned, we got connected through the podcast. So always feel free to join like I said before, things like live streams and stuff like that. And I have someone someone in the chat right now, Brian Gundy, is the guy who really got so many of us. And I've seen uh, even people in the comments right now say, hey, Brian, you're you're the first one of the first YouTube videos I saw and you really got me started in reptiles. And that goes for me as well. And he's here in the chat. And it's like, if I would have seen that in probably 2011, I would have probably fainted so 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 brian that's that's how much i look up to you and i still look up to you and and i thank you for putting out those videos to get me started and that's how you build respect is brian gave back to the hobby not only is he a knowledgeable keeper who's been doing it for for a long time or as he said are you saying that i'm old <laughs> well that's sometimes experience for for a young person like me um, experience or being old is very important because I don't want to make the same mistakes that, that Brian has made in his past. I don't want to make the same mistakes that people were making in the eighties, people keeping snakes and stuff like that. I, we want to keep on moving forward and doing that is part of doing that is learning from the, the generations that came before you. So, so that's why it's so important to get all this information out there because Hopefully you don't have to uh, come on too strong and seem like a, a real butthole and ruin your reputation in the industry. And that's hopefully what I'm getting across to you today. But yeah, it's important. It's important to, to seek out those mentors also. So like I said, Brian, Brian Gundy was one of those mentors for me. And most of my, most of my mentors have been honestly just off of YouTube. And I think that that's why, I started a YouTube channel because I learned so much of my information from YouTube. You know, you had people like, like Brian Barcheck, you had people like Brian Gundy, you had people like Henry. Oh, how do you say his last name? Is it Purin? I don't know. It's French. I'm sorry, Henry, but I don't know if he's in the hobby anymore, but I used to love his channel. Not, not only did he have a ball pythons, but he had some rare pythons, olive pythons, stuff like that. Really, really awesome channel. I love, I love just the look of the videos at that time. We're talking probably like 2008 to 2012 or so. And it wasn't all today is all trying to stay excited. It's all edited, stuff like that. Back then it was literally just point the camera, no editing. You just talk, you go, you talk really slow, all this stuff. It was amazing. And I really, really love that. And I really, really grew up on just having that experience is 
and it was a raw, raw feeling of of what these guys felt because they were out there, they were looking at clutches, separating clutches and stuff like that, mostly unedited. And I really, I obviously can't put out videos like that now, but I really, really loved that, that time period. And that's what really raised me up into finding, into wanting this to be much, much more of my life. So, yeah. And Justin said, Justin of Palmetto Coast Exotic said, the biggest piece of advice I'd give would be not to take yourself too seriously. And that's true. And I think a lot of people get caught as far as taking things seriously. You take things personally. That's also kind of what we had said before. And something that I have done really, really bad is, is I have in the past gotten upset at people or gotten, gotten mad or taken things way, way too personally or thought that this thing was way more serious than it had to be. And you really, really got to be resilient and let things, let things roll off you or else you tend to regret them in the future. And that's exactly most of my, most of my actions that I made in jest like that. Um, when someone made me upset or made me mad or something like that, I, I actually regretted later. So that's hindsight that I can use to to not do that ever again. I think that's why I tread a lot more lightly than I have in the past. That doesn't mean that some of the people in the past haven't done wrong, but it means that I feel better for it. And uh, Ben Wayne said, animals first, relationships second, profit third. And that is also super important. So I, I obviously I never said animals first here because – Quite frankly, I hope that's already your mindset. That's what everyone says when you talk about getting into breeding or getting into the reptile business. Everyone take the animals first and do everything for the animals first. I get it. Yeah, that should be no matter what, that should be what you're doing. And relationship second is 100% true because like I said, I've built so many valuable relationships through this hobby and profits third. Quite frankly, a lot of us never turn a profit. So uh so I think that's <laughs> so that's good or bad. So don't let that don't let that get you out of the hobby if you're interested in it just for I guess legitimate reasons. I guess the other things are legitimate reasons too, but huh. so I'm gonna go through the chat a little bit more. Oh, they're talking about other things. So uh, talking about getting into breeding for the first time or getting into starting breeding products, I think a lot of people have covered this kind of stuff. But for me, it's always females first. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on what species or what niche of the hobby you're working on. So females first, you don't, especially if males say take two years and females take three years to breed, and I'm using Corsex as an example, then you're going to want to get all your females one year and then a year later just get a bunch of males and then there you go you start your breeding projects as far as corns go and breeding projects none of the morphs really matter pick what you think is good looking whatever whatever in ball pythons that may matter one million percent and why does that matter it's because there's different people spearheading this project so the people who created the project are often the people who are setting the prices for the project so if you're having you know joe blow from wherever and they got a new morph and they're selling it for thirty thousand dollars 
if you buy that $30,000 morph, you are depending on that guy to do everything responsibly, to stay in the hobby the whole time, and to make sure that this project moves forward. And that is not always uh, that is not always the case. If you see someone like Justin Kabelka come out with a project, you can be sure that that guy is going to manage that project correctly, right? Anyone, a lot of the other people, you got to do your due diligence, especially if you've never heard of them, especially if it's not one of those like top five guys in, in the industry kind of things like that. Because quite frankly, those projects can tank in just a couple of years and you can lose all of your money. That's why, honestly, I don't really mess with ball python morphs or anything that costs too much money because I'm looking to breed animals. I'm not looking to gamble my money. But that's just me. And I'm also looking for assets that don't depreciate over time. So whenever you're making an investment in life, probably the number one rule is never to invest in something that depreciates. And that goes for, say, your car. That's why so many people say, hey, buy used, don't buy new, because once you once you start that car up and drive it off the lot, it's worth half. So that applies with a lot of these ball python morphs, a lot of the other morphs going on is you buy that animal, and then the next year it's worth maybe 75% of what you paid for it. And then each year it goes down until that third year and you're finally able to to buy and or you're finally able to produce and sell the offspring. So you may make your money back, but it'll be a little bit longer of a road than you plan it to be. So that's not, in my opinion, not the best investment. You can make a business out of it, understood, 100%. But just keep that in mind. It's a depreciating asset. Mm, you can invest in a lot of other things. Let's just say that. And as <laughs> when it comes to breeding animals, what you got to be prepared for is to sell those animals. So your breeding stock needs to be something, or at least I look for something that catches the eye visually because that those will always sell. A pied ball python will always sell. An albino ball python will always sell. A snow corn snake will always sell. Anything white, anything black will always sell. So keep that in mind when you're going forward with that. So work with the species you love, but also keep in mind if that more, because I got into corn snakes because I love corn snakes. I don't care what color they are, to be very honest. I like my corn snakes red, orange, black, whatever. White makes no difference to me. It makes zero difference. I'm just worried about the behavior of the animals. So if I can produce a bunch of white corn snakes and people like those a lot more, I should probably produce more of those and more of the things that I could be whatever about. If it was up to me, I'd have a bunch of stuff that probably no one wants to buy or I'd have just a bunch of normal corn snakes. So I would I would keep a little bit in mind of what the public wants, and I know that no one ever says that, but hey, there you go. No one also tells you not to invest in depreciating assets, but hey, here we are. And these are all my opinions, but... Even things like uh, Palmetto I got into pretty early because I wanted to make a big investment. investment. But I just I really, really love the way that Palmetto looks. I think that Palmetto is the best-looking morph of pretty much anything. You know, it's right on par with the Cowrie tick, and people like those 
animals for the same reason. I think the corn is even more colorful. So I really, really love that project just for the way it looks. And I think it's going to sell forever and ever. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. People are going to like it. And that's also important. So that's a little bit to, to keep in mind as well as you've got to get your name out there. That goes along with all the other stuff I said before, as well as getting all your social media on point. How do you get your social media on point? It needs to exist. During the outbreak, during this whole COVID thing, I think the first thing that's become the most apparent in the reptile industry is the fact that a lot of the older guys or the guys that depend on show sales are absolutely struggling. And guess what? The guys who have an online base, they have a website, they use Morph Market, they use any of the online 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 resources, they are doing amazing right now. Listen, this is one of the best markets to be a seller online that I have 100% that I have ever seen in my seven years of selling. And that's nothing, by the way, guys, seven years is nothing, obviously. I'm not trying to say that's anything. So even in that short amount of time, this is this is probably the best reptile market I've seen for online sales. So you've got to uh, you've got to prepare for the future. I mean, I expect I don't expect I don't expect reptile shows to shut down anytime soon. That's not happening. Uh, they'll come back right after this epidemic. I'm 100 percent sure, but. But it is just so important to know that reptile shows have been around since the early 90s really is when they really caught steam and when Daytona or Orlando at the time started. And slowly they have been growing and they're still growing and that's great and I'm glad. But you can't you can't hamper yourself to just two days a week or even one day a week or one day a month if you're that guy who only goes to a few shows. So you can sell online all year round without leaving your couch. Listen, you gotta talk to a lot more people, you gotta field a lot more inquiries, but I think it's worth it. I like this way of of doing business. I don't necessarily want to travel every every single weekend to make my living. So I think it's super important to create at least an online base for your business. Even if you don't have individual listed animals, just have ways to get in touch with yourself. Uh, Post pictures of your animals on Instagram, post pictures of your animals on Facebook and all that good stuff and just show off what you're working with and take good pictures and all that good stuff. And and you should be just fine. But, but yeah, I think it's, it also has a little bit to do with flexibility. So during this time, we've seen a lot of people and I've seen some old timers complain about the fact that there's not shows. Well, why don't you stop complaining and figure out a way to sell your animals? Cause like I said, this is one of the best online markets ever. So create your website right now. Who cares? Create uh, your morph market account right now. Start right now. There's no better time to start than right now. So, so keep on doing that. And, uh, and do your thing. I think uh, to be to be religious to one, to be religious to one way of selling or or one outlet for your animals, um, is kind of both ignorant and kind of a bad, a bad strategy to have for the future. And you always got to be flexible. So, I did a lot of vending this year. 
Um, I, in previous years, I've sold all online, but this year I decided to vend a lot and sell online. It was a lot of work, but I loved having, uh, I loved being able to move snakes and stuff like that and to just talk to people and get in touch with the general public. But I also loved going home and being able to choose not to do a show because I had online customers. So uh, just remember to keep flexible. And you're even seeing some some guys who put on shows being flexible in this time and putting on live streams or like a lot of you guys saw CritterCon Live, which is something that I did for Reptile Educators. I, that's me trying to find a solution for the reptile hobby that benefits everyone, meaning there's no reptile education shows going on at this moment. So how can I make a reptile education show that both helps the educators and helps those who can no longer, you know, be educated. So that was how I tackled that problem with an online virtual reptile education show. So how can you do that within your industry? How can you do that within your small niche? How can you make sure that you're taking advantage of the fact that everyone's home right now and people are going to be online and, and people are still looking to buy things. Let's be honest. So, so I think the, one of the biggest aspects is being flexible and this is all business talk and I'm sorry for being so, so business focused and stuff like that on this show. But I think it's something that, that people should hear. And I think big changes are coming from the reptile industry in the next few months. I mean, it's really only been two years and it's been already flipped on its head at this point. So I think it's really, really cool. Also, uh, hi, JT from Silent Hill Reptiles, just another one of a, a, a fellow corn snake breeder and a fellow just cool dude who you can meet here uh, in the chat every once in a while. And I thank you guys for, and I thank you, JT, for, for joining us. But I think uh, kind of like a carob bum in the in the chat says showing animals. It's all making a good stall and showing animals. Sorry. I thought I read that wrong, but what I, <laughs> what I meant to say is uh, shows are a good opportunity to go and educate the general public as well as talk to the general public about reptiles. I think my favorite part of doing shows is as a corn snake breeder, I get to talk to a bunch of first time snake owners, especially some families and small kids that I haven't been exposed to it. So that's why I love reptile shows, I guess, just to add to the reasons that I said before, it's so, it's so high touch, which is also why I like to, to get to know people through reptile shows as well. And also once you once you get into breeding your animals and you have enough animals to breed shows, I think even though I was talking all this smack about just doing people who just do reptile shows, I think it's kind of important to do reptile shows because you have you may have fifty vendors in that building that all breed reptiles, and those are all people that you can talk to. And when you're setting up before the show, take a walk around. Usually, a show opens at nine. I'll walk around eight thirty. I'll go to all the tables. <laughs> That's a good burp. I would, uh, I would, I would compliment people on their, I would compliment people on their setups or on their snakes or on their animals, whatever they have on their table, start a little small talk and just, uh, because I want to talk about animals 
and because I'm sure they're cool people because they're fellow reptile people. So I'm sure we're into the same thing and, and therefore we can be friends. So try to be, be friendly across your, your reptile shows. Now there's going to be, there's going to be scum buckets and I don't know. You can choose to ignore those guys, but I like to, I like to just keep an open mind and stay, uh, and talk to as many people as possible. So that goes everywhere. Uh, ben Wayne said, build the brand. If what you're selling isn't incredibly unique, you need to differentiate yourself. Find something unique about yourself or brand and try to market yourself by building off of that, which is 100% true. So I think your name goes so much further in this industry than people even try to assume there's, there's a rule of marketing that if you do well, one person will tell one other person. If you do a negative thing, that one person will actually tell eight people. So it's the rule of one to eight or something like that. But basically, do your best to always do the right thing because that will go a lot further. Meaning... If someone contacts you and they give you the whole like, let me ask my wife type of thing, don't go out and bitch them, bitch at them after. Just just let it go because it's much more valuable valuable for you to just have a, how do you say it? I don't want to say mediocre, but just a middle of the road experience by just saying, okay, all right, man, catch me later. Um, let me know if you have any questions. Rather than saying, all right, I know you didn't mean to actually purchase that animal. Why'd you waste my time? All this stuff. There's no reason to turn it negative. All that does is hurt you because that person can tell eight people that negative experience about you. So so I would just always avoid being a dick. Just try to always – I mean this is pretty obvious, right? But just don't try to turn people off intentionally. And I've seen people try to use that in the snake hobby as their their in or as their marketing. So, so uh, Ralph Davis was a guy who used to work in ball pythons quite a bit ago. And Ralph Davis, he was a great ball python breeder, but not only was he a great ball python, python breeder, he was a great shit talker. And he would talk shit about people and listen, they probably, they did him wrong, I'm sure. And they probably did some fucked up things, but he kind of built his name on shitting on other people. And I think that that works very, very rarely. And I think that's kind of what, uh, what Sean was doing in that when I was vending for him, and this is not a slight at Sean by any stretch of the imagination, but when I was vending for him and I wonder if he would see it the same way, I wonder if it was intentional or not, but that was when he was in the, the giant feud for uh, versus Brian, Brian Barczyk. And it was kind of weird being as a new person in the hobby and someone who respected Brian and someone who respected Sean to have this feud going on. And I just, I don't know. I just tried to also, this comes back to being a fly on the wall again. I just tried to chill out. I just, <laughs> I wasn't going to do anything, but uh, I think was Sean trying to go heal for and heal meaning like being the bad guy too. 
to get some marketing behind him because he had seen that that Ralph Davis had done it in the past. I think that's completely possible because I know that Sean's not a bad guy and he was, uh, and he got a lot of attention for, for that whole thing going on. So who knows? Was it great marketing or was he actually pissed? I don't know, but it, it, it worked, but I wouldn't do that shit. (laughs) I wouldn't play with that. I wouldn't play with that fire. That's bad juju. I do not want anything to do with that. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm so lucky to have been in contact with so many characters in this, in this whole thing. And we're all just people who are trying to make a living on doing what we love, which is working with animals. And people have done that so many different ways. And it's so fun to look back on all the different things like, you know, like Ralph Davis and, and that situation with Sean around that around that time period because those are moments in like herp history. Those are moments that that I'll cherish at least because that that was my foundation. That was I think everyone looks back to when they first started and sees it in a much more positive, but also you long to go back there in a way like the innocence of the of the whole situation and that was that for me so um, i although uh, there was a lot of obviously negativity and stuff going around it felt very playful and fun because uh, i was just a bystander so so i i don't know man it was it was super fun i just wanted to tell you guys a little bit about that story but drink But yeah, I wouldn't burn any bridges or do anything weird like that. And uh, Brian Gundy, who could speak for all of us, says, I learned a long time ago, don't burn any bridges. And that's true. Even if someone's doing something you don't agree with, I mean, stay cool. Because quite frankly, you may need that person in the future. They may need you. And, uh, And anyone who has had any ill will towards me can always reach out to me if if anything is, is going on and I would gladly help that person. I hope uh, it goes both ways. So also, I think this is super important. Uh, Justin mentioned about, about tire kickers. It's the fact that if you're going to buy an animal, just fucking buy the animal and buy it full price. That's what I always done. If I had if I had bought reptiles off anyone, I probably paid you full price. Um, and that's just the way it goes. That just gets you that gets you in the door quicker. And uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to. Also, keep in mind, I'm not trying to tell people at the reptile shows to be tire kickers, and you know, be like act like you're into an animal and not all and not actually being into an animal don't ask about an animal unless you legitimately don't know about the animal and you want to learn or or you're not ready to buy that animal on the spot honestly most of the animals that i've bought have been uh hey blah 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 here's my money type of thing because i knew the person i knew the person beforehand and or i knew the project beforehand um, when serpents asked, did I pay for the StreamYard subscription? Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, so you so you no longer see the 
the StreamYard logos in the side. So thank you, Laura, for noticing that. And uh, but yeah, oh, Mike Kosicki's in the chat. Another guy who I have gotten so many. Uh, I've gotten a few snakes off of, and that's just from being friends. So that's really that's really when you get when you get to a certain point. It's great that you have friends that are good enough to where you have projects and they have projects and you can trade snakes or you can trade projects or you can give them snakes at a great price or they can give you snakes at a great price. That's really the benefit of all this relationship stuff because I would never have Eastern black king snakes without Mike Kosicki. And I have a leucistic Texas rat snake because of Mike Kosicki and, and he has a reverse Okatee, which I think is, is grown up rather nicely. So, uh, so yeah, there's, and that's just because we have a general appreciation for the same type of species. And that is, that is super, super, super important. I don't know. This is at the end, it all turned to rambling. I don't know what's going on. It's way too hot in here. It's like finally turning summer here in Philly and it's like 80 degrees, which means it's like 75 in here. And I'm, I'm way too cheap to turn on the heat or the, the AC. And also um, I keep reptiles, so uh, the more heat, the better. But I am, man, I, I'm getting a little toasty in here. Oh man, I wish, I wish I was able to say your name. I'm gonna try. Um, Sidharth Nimalagaga. Oh fuck me. Uh, Nimalagada. Nimalagada. To be honest, your podcast with Casey Cannon inspired me to buy a Bredels from Casey. Well, that is awesome, and. Brettles pythons are amazing animals and a really, really unique carpet python, I guess. Can we can we call that a carpet python? I don't know. Everyone weigh in. But uh, and Casey's a good dude, and I'm I'm glad you bought a I'm glad you bought a Brettles from him. There's obviously so many of our friends who produce amazing Brettles pythons, someone like Austin Warwick, Casey Casey Cannon, um, Nick Mutton, uh Owen McIntyre. There's so many people who have amazing Brettles pythons. So that's really a great project to get into. And not just as a project, but just amazing species. Uh, Justin from Palmetto Cousins Exotics. Joe's podcast inspired me to start THP. Thanks, man. And I was I'm really glad that you were here from the beginning because you were you were truly here from the very, very, very beginning. Palmetto Coast Exotics was one of the first, one of the first uh, true listeners that we ever did have on here. So, so I really, really appreciate that. Not only that, but like Justin's one of the harder working, more badass, actually does what he says he's going to do type of people in this hobby in which Justin started the podcast. He started a second podcast. He started a Second and a half, can we call uh, snakes and stogies? Is that a that's like a that's a point five because he won't he won't upload it as an actual podcast, even though uh, I've been trying to get him to, and and not only has he done that, he started the Herpeticulture magazine, and he's done so many things in this hobby in such a short amount of time. He's really also a recipe for someone who came from just watching me, who's just a random dude talking about snakes in his bedroom to actually uh, actually doing things. And I'm glad because not only is he doing things, but he's a force for positive in the hobby. So 
he is someone who he's not just breeding a few snakes or whatever and selling them. He is someone who really cares about the species that he's into and is really into. I guess we kind of have a proclivity to those who are into the rare snakes and the rare pythons and the rare just things that are good. people with appreciation for those things that are counter more so than than a lot of the other things meaning that most people are into ball pythons let's be honest a lot of people are into crested geckos gargoyle geckos a lot of people like to say people are into corn snakes but very little people are actually into corn snakes a lot of people have corn snakes there's not a lot of breeders that are breeding them to be honest or breeders that are doing it on a, on a high level so I would say that corn snakes are probably one of the more popular animals for having the least amount of breeders who take themselves seriously. And that's because there's probably the least amount of money in it. But here I am breeding corn snakes. But not only do I like corn snakes, but I like the more rare species. And so typically we have a bunch of cool people who are, uh, who are into kind of the, uh, the, the the counterculture? Is that is that the right way to say? It? I also wanna I also wanna say that uh, Condro Cartel, which is Evan Browder, who when I first started in the industry, I was living. Well, when I first started started, I was living in Oswego, New York. Then I moved to to Boulder, Colorado. Then I moved to Denver, Colorado. Through that time, I was that was the fly in the wall stage. Um, in Oswego, that's actually when I went to Tinley. So that was one of the first things I did. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I went to Boulder and then I went to Denver and then I eventually moved to Texas. I moved to Dallas, Texas. And when I moved to Dallas, Texas, things changed because I took things more serious, but not only did I take more serious, I gained that, that local group of friends and that local group of friends was, was Evan Browder, Bill Stiegel, Tony Jerome. Um, and there was a bunch of other, other people, Mark Hager, uh, a lot of lot of real fucking really cool people from that area, and I was really really lucky to be surrounded by amazing snake keepers from that area. So, I also I don't want to downplay that of getting me into into snakes and getting me into uh, into doing it more serious because I had local people who were so serious um, and just really really great people. And in Dallas, everyone's just and Austin Warwick is also on that list. Um, I mentioned him before too, though. But damn, all these people just treated me like family as soon as I got in, and and they put on so many events and things down there. I think that's really one of the more inclusive scenes, as well as just with some of the most experienced and coolest keepers. As you can see, I keep a lot of their stickers back here. Look at that. That's Austin of Warwick Ref of Ragebeard Reptiles. And there is Tony Jerome's sticker from Selective Scale. So um, there's also SMJ. Ian Bissell was one of the one of the uh, the people that I met at some of the first carpet fest that I went to, and just all these amazing people that I've met that who have really become great friends. But besides that, um, shout out to everyone in Dallas and and everything around there. Um, but besides that. I want to talk about this season so far. So I have, I have East black king snake eggs. I have all the corn snakes that I was looking to go so far have laid besides a couple. 
Um, most clutches are on the ground at this point. We are pretty late in the season for me, at least uh, when I took them out this year. And we should have we should have some babies coming July. I keep on saying we. It's just me. Blah 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 blah. So uh, I look forward to to showing you guys, and I'll show you guys all those hatchlings as they come out. Um, but last night I, I opened up the tub to the bottom of the Louisiana pine snake in which I had just put a lay box in because I saw this girl. She was looking fat and she was cruising. What happens? with colubrids right before they lay is typically they have this period in which they just become completely restless. The females do, and they'll become completely restless for a couple of days and then they'll go into their lay box and then they'll lay their eggs probably that day. So kind of like, have you ever heard of a, a pregnant woman in the, to tell them to, to keep on walking? I feel like that's what snakes naturally do. They, they walk during this period in order to get them ready to, to, to lay eggs. So, and yes, Dallas, I'll, I'll send you my address because I would love your sticker on my wall. Um, <laughs> Dan's in parentheses wall. I mean, it's solid. Um, but I saw that Louisiana pine snake traveling around. So I put their, her lay box on some nice sphagnum moss, some nice moist sphagnum moss in there. And... Lo and behold, last night I, I peep open. We have one. We have one egg out. And what's funny is that this female, she didn't use the the egg box. She may have been a little bit too big, to be honest. I wonder if that's if that's my doing or her doing. But she had just her one third, the the back third of her body in the box. And then the rest was in her hide. <laughs> so so she had a the black PVC hide on on the hot spot and then a lay box um, in the front of the tub. And this is a 71 quart tub. So the whole thing's basically a hide at this point because I have a giant PVC hide. I have a big lay box. And she has her tail, her one, her back third in the hide or in the lay box. And then the front two-thirds of her body is in the hide box. And she laid eggs like that. I don't know. And uh, and Brian asked if I keep their water bowls in there during lay. So for all the corn snakes, I do. If I've I have found that if I have a decent lay box, that all the corn snake females will lay in the lay box instead of their water bowl. However, with this Louisiana pine snake, the egg box is so big and the hide was so big that I I actually had to pull the water bowl. So I didn't keep the water bowl in there at all. But so she ended up laying three eggs in the egg box and then one egg about halfway out of the egg box. So the whole entire time she had two thirds of her body in the hide and one third of her body in the, in the lay box, but she laid in the box. She did, she did what she was supposed to do. And now I have four fertile Louisiana pine snake eggs. So, Louisiana pine snakes have clutches of two to five. Last year I had three eggs, two infertile or two fertiles and one infertile. And this year I got four fertile eggs. So I'm super happy. I think a big attribution to, to the fecundity there, the increase this year was hitting her with as much food as I could, meaning like not too much food to go crazy, but um, definitely making sure that she had plenty of food. 
And I was really, really serious about that before and after and during and all that stuff. Um, rats, rats, rats for that girl. So I'm super, super excited to have this amazing clutch for Louisiana pine snake eggs, which is, I mean, I really, really can't ask for more. So Brian Gundy asked, uh, will you double clutch her? And that goes for all of my other colubrids. The only colubrid that I'm focusing on double clutching this year is the Mexican black king snake because I had a whole, I had a whole thing with that. I thought it was a male. They were eating each other, all this stuff. She laid eggs. She's still big. Um, I'll give her, I'll give her another shot. Everyone else, no one else is going for a double clutch. Um, I've never heard of Louisiana pine snakes doing a double clutch. The reason why Louisiana pine snakes are the rarest snake in North America and are federally enlisted endangered species is the fact that the fecundity is so low, which means that they reproduce at a really, really low rate. Like I said, clutch sizes are only two to five. And even after that, I mean, the eggs are so big. The eggs average about five inches long and about two inches wide. So if you think about that, that animal having four inches is actually taking over, you know, almost two feet of that animal's body. And Louisiana pine snakes only get to four to five feet. The The record Louisiana pine snake is only 5.8 feet. So that's actually a pretty small animal. So mine's probably more about four feet. So say she had four eggs taking up about at least 20 inches of her body. That's a lot. So, uh, after she laid eggs, she doesn't look the best. And I don't think I've seen uh, any of them or I haven't heard of any of them double clutching. So I won't push it. And uh, it's weird because you say like four eggs. Oh, she should be good to go. But those eggs are so big that, yeah, I don't I don't want to test it. Also, keep in mind that those those babies come out eating small adult mice. So that's part of why part of why they're in danger is because they have so little babies. But also part of why some of them survive is because they come out ready to eat pocket gophers. They come out ready to eat rodents. So you see a lot of your colubrids come out, especially things like corn snakes. They come out so small. You're talking about something that's under five grams. And these things are not eating rodents. They're probably eating lizards or skinks in the wild, toads, all that kind of stuff. These Louisiana pine snakes are coming out as like... They're coming out basically like a baby ball python would, and they're ready to go attack rodents, and they're ready to go to those pocket gopher burrows in which they spend well over 60% of their time in and and hunt their prey. And it's I, I love this species. I'm glad I have been able to produce them two years in a row. I feel very, very lucky for that, and I feel lucky for being more successful this year than I was last year from the same female and i hope that she can keep on doing it and i hope to keep back as many animals as possible so that i can keep on uh breeding this amazing species because quite frankly i love working with the species and they're so easy once you they all eat everything's good you know i love working with the louisiana pine snake and i can't wait until those babies hatch so gestation period is typically only like three weeks or so so that's the the time the eggs are in the female then they're laid and incubation will probably take up to 60 days so so i will be waiting 60 long days for those babies to come out but i am so super super excited for that and uh yeah man louisiana pine snakes louisiana pine snakes and eastern black king snakes two years in a row and i'm pretty happy about that so 
as that goes, uh, it's been over an hour and I said that I was going to keep these to an hour. I think it may be a thing where I keep, um, when I have former guests on some, some friends on, maybe I'll go over two hours. If I have new guests on or I'm just doing it myself, maybe I'll stay an hour. Plus I really have to pee. I would stay here longer, but I have to pee. That is just uh, the truth of the matter. If you guys would stick around while I pee, I will go a little bit longer, but or actually, let me just do that. I feel like I need to put up I need to put up something cool in the meantime while I'm gone. I'll try to I'll try to share some type of cool video without peeing my pants. Let's see if we can find the Louisiana pine snake video. Then I'll do a proper outro. So this should give me a minute. Share screen. See, this is why you can't do episodes by yourself. Let me know if you guys can actually hear that. If we didn't show it to you, you'd probably never see it, or its distinct yellow and brown splotch scales. It's one of the rarest snakes in North America. The Louisiana pine snake can grow up to six feet long. It's not poisonous. It's a constrictor. It wraps its prey and suffocates them. Its known habitat is estimated to be less than 200 square miles in the longleaf pine forests on the Louisiana-Texas border, a habitat that is only 3% of its once massive size. It's almost impossible to spot in the wild because the snake spends its time below ground, moving through the tunnels of its rodent prey. But when it pokes its head above ground, its habitat is in steady decline. Fewer trees mean fewer rodents barring beneath, and that means fewer pine snakes. And with encroaching human development, the ever-present threat of being crushed under road traffic looms. This is Louisiana pine snake. Can you guys actually hear that? I'm just curious. Because I've, I've never actually tried to play video over the, the over the live stream before, but so yeah, Louisiana pine snake. I'm I'm glad to be working with them. This is I've had them for over five years now, so I just feel lucky to be able to to work with them. But yeah, I have a I have a pair from last year who's growing up right now. I think it's funny to to think that this animal can grow up to two to three feet in their first year, and they only get up to four to five feet. So it's like they do all of their they do all of their growing within in the egg, and then for that first year because and then they slow down, and it's amazing. Uh, Brian Gundy asks, "Have you caught any in the wild?" So no, I haven't. Um, I haven't even gone. I've been in that area, but honestly, what I was hoping to find more so than than that, because honestly, I think that that would be a super, super long shot because just just like finding even a northern pine here, if you go to New Jersey, it's hard to find a northern pine because they are in the burrows all the time. Same with the Louisiana pine snake, but I was hoping to find 
Slowinskii or Pantherophis slowinskii, Slowinskii's corn snake, which is within kind of the same region of that, which is funny because independently, I love those two species of snakes and I didn't know that they had anything to do with each other, but they, they have all to do with each other in a way because they, they do have overlap in, in many ways, but, but yeah, I've, I've definitely never seen one in the wild. I wish I could. Um, I would love to get connected with some type of uh, biologist who happens to be doing a study on those. I would love to do a video. Um, hit me up, please, please, please. I would love to. I mean, that would be a dream. Not only, I would say bucket list, at least in the United States, that I think is attainable. Corn snake in the, paint, in the pine barrens. I could definitely do that. Um, Louisiana pine snake and Slovenskis corn snake in the in Kisachi or just somewhere between East Texas and Louisiana, that type of area. If I could see a Kisachi's, uh, Kisachi's corn or Slovenski eye or Slovenski's corn snake or a Louisiana pine snake, that would make my life. So, uh, any of my biologist pals out there, uh, feel free to invite me. Thank you. <laughs> other than that um uh, i think people are some people are asking i don't know if they're asking how much the clutches are going to be for louisiana pine snakes or how much to price babies at but uh babies aren't for sale for those i'm just i'm going to build an army of louisiana pine snakes i don't even care i'm just i'm trying to find uh different bloodlines so i think we're going to I'm going to mix and match with a few different people. I'm going to find minor Vanny Venter uh, bloodline, which to Brian, when he said, did you see any of them in the wild? Uh, you know how they actually found like the most of the founding stock from my understanding, from what people told me is that they literally went to Bienville, which is a parish, which is what they call counties in Louisiana. They went to Bienville parish and they put up signs that said, you know, Louisiana pine snakes wanted or something, something to that attune. And basically people reached out to them, which was in this case for the people that I know are Theron majors, as well as uh, Terry Van Inventor. I think they were kind of around the same time. I'm not hundred percent sure, but they just put up signs in the town, like corn or pine snakes wanted type of thing. And, and that's how the original uh, bloodline was caught. And, I don't know. Those are that was obviously before it was a federally enlisted da- endangered species, but I think that's so interesting that such a humble beginnings to this project. But I'm glad I have them now. I'm glad they came into the hobby, and I'm glad that they're federally enlisted now, so that they are protected. Because I obviously never want to take animals out of the wild, and now I'm glad that I can perpetuate the species and breed the species so that we never have to take them out of the wild again. So people ask a lot of times, am I doing this for some type of conservation or something like that? Well, yes and no. Never will these animals be part of any type of repopulation or reintroduction program because I am not, I have not kept proper records as far as to be, non-related meaning that i bred a line together so those animals are definitely related and that's what we do in the reptile hobby but if someone's looking to reintroduce a species if someone's in the zoo community you never you would never have related animals you're trying to get the most diverse uh, bloodlines as you possibly can 
So that's really out of the question. But why I am doing it is so that we have enough babies to where hopefully price can go down eventually. I, I don't produce enough. It's almost impossible to produce enough Louisiana pine snakes when they're only putting out two to four eggs, you know, literally two to five eggs. If you if you have if you have over six eggs, people stop start doubting you that it's pure Ruthveni or Louisiana pine snake. People start saying Ruthveni do not have over eight eggs. That's a hundred percent sure because uh, there's been people who have had over eight eggs, over eight. And people say that that is the natural limit of the Louisiana pine snake. At least what people say in the, in the hobby, I don't know, but, um, but they are really, really low, low clutch sizes. So, so I don't know if we could ever really overproduce them, but at least I can produce enough to where people don't need to get them from the wild. Honestly, I'm going to give away and hold back all of this clutch. I already held back all of the last clutch. I will trade for new bloodlines. Anything other than that, please ask me about them. Please talk to me about them. I just won't sell you one, unfortunately. Um and I'm so happy to finally have that snake where I can be like, I can do the Matumbo uh, finger wave and be like, nope, can't have those. Because these are these are my snakes that I want to hoard. Sorry, guys. And not that that many people want them anyway. <laughs> They're kind of a terror. But I, I do really, really enjoy them. And I'll be glad to eventually amass a giant collection of Louisiana pine snakes. That's pretty much it. I went way over my time already. I thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you to all the people who are still in the chat here. I'm seeing Actual Gaming, Lori Torini, Palmetto Coast Exotics, Jonah Glover, Ben Wayne, Brian Gundy, Todd Danielson, Mike Kosicki, all those guys. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you so much for sitting here for an hour and 21 minutes and 56 seconds. Damn, Brian Gundy stayed here the whole time. How, how lucky am I? It's, it's, it's funny how this all works. And it's, I think that also goes to show not to build a mountain out of a molehill in the way of, um, People that you look up to can be just as much peers with you over a certain amount of time. Meaning, although Brian will always, <laughs> I'll always view Brian as much, much better than me in the herp, herpeticulture, herp community in general, I can talk to him as a peer. And I really, really appreciate that. And thank you, Brian, for being here. And thank you to everyone who I've depended on out there. Uh, who have mentored me through this time. And I hope that all of you who have been looking for this episode or were wondering how to get started, hopefully this helps you. And also I hope that you also can get to a point where you have a bunch of friends in the hobby and you have a rewarding hobby that can pay you back much, much more than any dollar amount could ever give you. Also, if you could, if you could, I've never asked this before. If you could share this podcast with someone if someone needs to hear this, if someone is new in the hobby, something like that, or even if even if you just want to expose someone to uh, to different points of views as far as snakes and the reptile hobby goes, uh, or just tell them, hey, this is a good podcast, uh, please 
please, please, please share this podcast. Please like uh, the video on YouTube. And here we have, we have some people ha hanging at the end here. We have April of Designer Exotics and Laura of Wind Serpents. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you all for listening and I will catch you next week.